on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll start the show with some genre-related news. Nia DaCosta was announced as director of the upcoming sequel to Captain Marvel. She will be the first African-American woman to direct a Marvel Studios film. DaCosta is a director and screenwriter known for crime thriller Little Woods, as well as the reboot of horror classic Candyman. Captain Marvel 2 is currently scheduled for theatrical release in 2022. The latest COVID convention casualties are AwesomeCon DC, which had been rescheduled from May to December, and the New York Comic Con. Both shows are canceled, however, NYCC organizers have announced that the con will partner with sister event MCM Comic Con London to field a virtual schedule for New York Comic Con's Metaverse over the weekend of October 8th through the 11th. Both NYCC and MCM Comic-Con London are organized by Reed Exhibitions. For more details, you can visit the website at findthemetaverse.com. Cartoon character Snoopy celebrated a birthday this week. The Peanuts comic strip established August 10th as the iconic Beagle's date of birth. Snoopy actually has an anniversary coming up as October 4th, 1950 was the date of his first appearance in the strip. The world's tallest robot is set to debut later this year. Construction has been underway in Japan's port of Yokohama since January on a giant Gundam, a popular fictional robot appearing in some 50 television series and movies since 1979. When completed, the approximately 25-ton robot will actually be able to walk under its own power. You can check out a video on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. And sad news this week, as word of the passing of Japanese manga artist Jiro Kawada reached our shores. He actually died on July 2nd. Mr. Kawada was known to genre audiences as the co-creator of the anime Tobor the Eighth Man, as well as the writer and illustrator of the Shonen King Batman manga. He was 85. We're talking today about the censorship of some recent comics work. Joining me on this episode are Shireen Nicole and Julian Lytle and Warren Bernard. Thank you everybody for coming back yet again. Hello. Thanks for having uh, me back. Yes, yeah, same here. All right. So uh, before we get into the main topic of today's show, there were a couple of things uh, from the intro that I did want to at least mention in passing. And the first of those is the uh, somewhat uh, interesting 
development of uh, Nia DaCosta uh, being announced as the director for Captain Marvel 2. Of course, uh, she is the first African-American female director of a Marvel movie. And uh, I thought that was just delightful. I was wondering how you all felt about that. My question is, um, why did it take this long? <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's that. That's a real thing. Um, I am happy for her for this job. I hope she gets a nice check. I hope they didn't uh, lowball her. Well, it is Marvel. But I do know that. <laughs> but I do know they do they they do like to go after younger directors that are a little less experienced in doing big budget films if they'd have a nice little bit of a buzz going from some type of a smaller budget but critically mm -hmm. critically li liked film so i think Candyman is popping let's get her now and i, I personally i think they use that as a way to kind of control them so they can get in there and like direct all the action scenes because mm. you know, if you pay attention to what directors and people say, that's kind of what they do. But mm. I'm glad she's getting a check. Hope she get a nice house. And, you know, her <laughs> mama house, a nice little whip. You know what I'm saying? Pay off all them debts. You know, that's what I'm moving for. Well, well they're, they're at least going to pay her enough for that. But hell, I mean, let's you, face you it. Still, but, you know, taxes, though. You know, and, That's true. Yeah. But still, I mean, let's face it, the reason that they want less experienced directors is they can justify paying them less. And they can control uh, them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, there's also the marketing aspect of being able to say we launched this career into the stratosphere. Yeah. Which which is which is also you know, highly visible for them. But I think it's great with Nia DaCosta, you know, having done Candyman. I think her previous film was Little Woods, which was a, a neo-Western, as far as I understand it, uh, starring Tessa Thompson. So um, it's a very beautiful progression for her. Um, I haven't seen a lot of her work, but from what I've seen, you know, horror lends itself to action in a lot of ways. You know, you've got a lot of the CG a lot of the makeup and things like that. So there's some similarities there as far as what you're doing behind the camera. Um, you know, getting people's hearts rushing and things like that. So it's going to be great to see her helm a film. And I also like the idea of Nia DaCosta here because a lot of us are starving for more Monica Rambo action. Mm -hmm. um, the young actress who played her in Captain Marvel 1 was so great. Tenoya Parrish is playing her on WandaVision for Disney+. Plus. And so a bunch of us are hoping that now that she's a grown woman, we can see two Captain Marvels in Captain Marvel 2. Ha ha, play on words. Um, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, um, a lot of people, and if you guys are not familiar with Monica Rambo, she's the original Captain. Well, she was the first one to have the title Captain Marvel, I should say. The first woman. Um, yeah. The first woman, yeah. Yes, and, after um, Marvel's death, exactly. Mm. And she's also Spectrum, and what's the other one? Photon. Uh, Photon, Photon and Spectrum are the, the main two. One, yeah. There's about eight others. But... And then her yeah, own yes. name is like her, she's mostly known now just by her, her government oh. name. Uh, and a lot of people have a dream that rather than them doing Storm and Black Panther, they'll do Monica Rambo and Black Panther, which I am a lot more into. 
Sorry, hmm. Nakia. Sorry. <laughs> well, the one thing beyond uh, what has been said so far, and uh, you know, it, all of us who have uh, worked as creatives, uh, I mean, essentially, what Marvel is saying, and they can get away with it. It's this is going to be great exposure for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, <laughs> but let's not forget that Nia DaCosta has Jordan Peele in her corner, so I'm sure that he whispered some things in her ear during the negotiations. She she got some millions of dollars, so like, yeah. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no yeah. doubt, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, tip of the hat to uh, to Nia DaCosta. I think that's wonderful. Um, something else uh, from this week. Uh, the New York Comic-Con finally announced that it was canceled. <laughs> I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this show was slated to uh, actually start in October. <laughs> it was like early October. And, uh, you know, so we were uh, close to 60 days out or maybe a little uh, just over 60 days out or something. And uh, when they have finally announced that they're canceling. And up until now, it has been, yes. We are trying to have a show, and everybody's scratching their head about, like, how in the heck are y'all going to have a show <laughs> when and there's a, you know, a, a pestilence raging across the the land? So, well, um, you, you know, the 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 big problem there, and I can I can guarantee you this, it was all legal, all right, because mm -hmm. there there were there were guarantees made. The Javits Center, they they rent out the entire Javits Center. Who knows how many hotels? They had room blocks with. Mm -hmm. They had a. Yeah. Th they had a legal mess on their hands, and so in in one way, yeah, you know, they, they should have called it early. But another one was was that it's clear that someone was playing legal chicken mm -hmm. to see mm -hmm. who was going to blink because there are, depending on how things are canceled, thoroughly, um, will then may possibly trigger depends who's liable. Right, penalty mm -hmm. court. So yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that, Warren. Yeah, well, of course not. They don't understand the business behind they putting on a convention. They don't understand the business. <laughs> they are not interested. They don't. It's, it's unbelievable how much people will make statements about shows and someone who's on the business side like me goes, well, that was a pretty stupid statement you just made. And... <laughs> and it's all, all because their steadfast refusal to even ask the basic questions about how the business runs in terms of running a, a, a festival or a convention. So it's like making sausage, man. <laughs> you know, it tastes great, but you don't want to be in the freaking plant when they're making it. And and even and the worst part is, is even after you explain some of this to people, you still don't get any sympathy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, we all we all want to dress up in our costumes and hang out and get drunk with our friends and, you know, just generally have a lot of fun. And not uh, at SPX. You won't get you won't be in costume. We'll throw. Well, you that's out. true. That well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And shockingly, I still love that convention <laughs> more so than, than many others where you would dress up in costume, you know, it's so in fact. Convention. Yeah, in fact, I have to, you know, I'm going to take an opportunity for a shameless plug for the Small Press Expo. When conventions do come back around, if you haven't ever visited SPX, treat yourself. Come to Montgomery County, uh, Bethesda North, as it were, and uh, and check this show out. Because, um, you know, unlike, unlike some conventions, this one has a much, it's much more of a literary event, but there's a very unique 
uh, a unique group of individuals who are a part of this, uh, you know, the uh, the SPX uh, audience. There is a purity to it in terms of the comics, in terms of the passion that people have for them. Uh, it's much less commercialized than a lot of these other shows that you will see. And, uh, you know, there, there are really some wonderful elements to it, not the least of which uh, is... Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the only festival prize for comics uh, in the United States right now uh, with the Ignatz Awards. Yes, although this year, because there's no festival, we're opening up the voting for the Ignatz Awards to basically everybody, everybody who registers. Ah, so, oh, that's okay. so cool. Yeah, so uh, uh, I don't know if you're on our email lists, but we just sent the first notice out today um, where to register at, out at the website. And if you register when the nominations come out at the end of August, you'll be sent a ballot and you'll be able to vote. And we tested it so you can only vote once. Oh. Yay! Because it is. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Hey, and so, Warren, what is the website in case anybody wants to register for the Small Press Expo this year? www.smallpressexpo.com and go over to the Ignatz menu click and you'll see Ignatz 2020 ballot and there you, go. you you give us your name email address and we will send you a ballot mm -hmm. there you go and you heard about it on fantastic forum hey uh something else that i had wanted to just mention and uh, clearly i am very late to the party on this but uh, i i it, hey who knows i i had no idea but there is in yokohama japan a 60-foot-tall Gundam that they are building. And uh, it come to say, Julian, what you were saying, this isn't even the first one that they have over there. No, no, it's not. I think this is at least, a, this is probably the third location. Oh, I've my been following God. the Gundam because, you know, eventually I'll, I'll not be cheap and broke enough and I'll go to Japan one day and it is on the list to go for me to go see the Gundam, you know. I will go with you. I will take me along because this thing is crazy. It moves. I mean, this yeah. is a giant robot that moves. I mean, it's just like just like the real thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's ah. you know. U Ulysses Julian keeps yes. telling you it's a it's a um it's a, it's a security suit. measure. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh it's it's the protection of the island. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. It's a national security right here. Anything goes wrong. <laughs> he, he tied you, Papa. <laughs> and People it's ready on. to climb in. People are ready. They're training every day. I bet <laughs> you. Well, I guess when I saw this, and I read about it in freaking Popular Mechanics, too. And, uh, you know, apparently the thing is uh, set to premiere in uh, it, very soon, apparently. In fact, there was video of the head getting lowered onto it. And uh, you can actually go online. If you go to Gundam Robot Yokohama uh, on YouTube, you can find test footage of the thing raising its leg and all the stuff. I mean, I've just, I'm, 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 I'm very excited about the prospects of actually going to Japan to see this thing live and maybe getting some footage of it because I, I, I had no idea. I mean, this is, and for somebody like myself, to actually see footage of this and then be told this is this is not special effects footage someone actually built a 60 foot tall robot 
that moves. Yeah, it's, like, it's actual know? size. That's what makes it uh that was what makes it amazing. So like I think the last time it was put up was in twenty seventeen. And so like it was originally in uh Tokyo and it was taken down back in two thousand nine because of what happened with um I think one of that the big storm that mm. caused like all the damage in in uh Japan. Mm, yeah. But yeah, like yeah. Tsunami? Yeah, it was made. It was yeah. It was made. It was made to celebrate Gundam, yo. You know what I'm saying? People out here about Star Wars, and now out there it's about that mobile suit Gundam. You know, we do like Trillness. Mecca. Trillness. <laughs> yeah. Who cannot love this thing if you happen to see it? Like I said, in Yokohama, Japan. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming online at WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Julian Lytle and Warren Bernard and Shireen Nicole. And we were just talking a little bit about the 60-foot-tall real Gundam that is over in Yokohama, Japan, and uh, apparently getting ready to debut very soon but uh, very exciting the the uh, only other thing that i had wanted to mention before we get to the primary discussion topic for today's show is the passing of jiro kuwata uh, he is a japanese manga artist and he is going to be mentioned here if only because he happens to be the co-creator of one of my favorite animes and one of the first animes that I saw as a small child watching television in the New York area on WPIX. This is, of course, Tobor the Eighth Man. So also, uh, Mr. Kawada happened to be uh, the author and illustrator of uh, the Batman manga from uh, Shonen King magazine. And I, I just learned about this Batman manga. Apparently, uh, they paid, uh, they licensed the character uh, during the Batmania of uh, 1966. It was a real brief qu- craze over in Japan, but it was very intense. And so Shonen King magazine uh, paid to do their own Batman adaptations, and uh, and they had some they had some crazy bat villains <laughs> that they did. I mean, what were uh, wait, come on, help me out here, Julian? Who were some of these villains they had? Lord Deathman is the most known. Because um, Grant Morrison liked him so much, she put him into his uh, his Batman run. Mm. But that's that's the like the only stuff I like I really read was because it's like his name is Lord Deathman. Why wouldn't mm. I read that? It's Batman <laughs> and Robin <laughs> versus Lord Deathman. Yeah. That's oh, there's Pete another. Di- yeah, Doctor Faceless was another one. I mean, both those characters sound incredibly dangerous and deadly. And so uh, yeah, but this and the stuff came from. Japanese manga. It's like who knew? Batman's probably one of the first ones to, you know, transcend the uh, the Pacific. Then, you know, later on you get the really good Spider-Man manga mm. and and the okay X-Men one. But yo, yeah, the Bat manga <laughs> one's funny, yo. That, you know, not the two, but they, yo, that Spider-Man joint, whoo, you mm. know, Chef's kiss. When Julian Lytle says something is fire, <laughs> that's no <laughs> joke. <laughs> you can rely on that. <laughs> that's like, as the Julian Lytle stamp of approval there. Chef's kiss, too. But fire. When he says something's <laughs> fire, that's like, oh, all right, money <laughs> here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And uh, the entire series uh, has been adapted uh, and is available in English. Creator uh, Jiro Kawada, he died at the beginning of July. And I'm, I'm like, dang. I'm just hearing about this. 
if you follow an, like anime and manga news, it popped up there, but uh, it took a while before it made its way to regular degular uh, yeah, yeah. American uh, geek news sites. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like I missed out on something, but yeah, you know, we are absolutely going to observe uh, Mr. Kawada. Anyway, getting to the uh, what I had uh, wanted to have as the primary topic for today's show, uh, essentially censorship. Uh, suppression or prohibition of any parts of books, films, news, etc. that are considered obscene, politically unacceptable, or a threat to security. Now, why do I mention this? Uh, just recently, a African-American cartoonist named Bianca Eunice, uh, who was part of an um, anthology strip, it's called Six Chicks for uh, Racial Equality and Justice, syndicated it's running in a number of different uh, publications but she published a cartoon uh, that um, some people actually took as offensive and uh, you can if you're interested you can find it over on the fantastic forum facebook page at facebook.com backslash fantastic forum but there are two characters in this strip there is a a clearly african-american woman who is uh, wearing a t-shirt that says i can't breathe also wearing a surgical mask to protect from COVID, and a younger woman. And then there is an older uh, Caucasian woman who is not wearing a mask, and she's reading the shirt, and she says, well, if you can't breathe, then take that silly mask off. And uh, apparently, this strip caused a great deal of controversy, and uh, I had wanted to talk about that and about some of the other strips that have... Uh, seen equal controversy or similar, I shouldn't say equal, but similar controversial uh, types of responses over the past few years and sort of uh, get people's uh, input on them. Now, uh, I I also want to say that I see cartooning as an inherently political sort of endeavor, and uh, cartoonists have historically offered commentary, opinion, and satire. Now, of course, comics can be escapism, but they can also be political. And I think a lot of comics readers, you know, some of them are like, well, why are you trying to inject uh, politics into comics? Can't we just look at the comics and read the comics and not have to be concerned about what's going on socially and culturally as if these things do not have a place? So um, as, as, as though all of their comics are not politically driven. Hi. Uh, but exactly. It- Exactly. Yeah. Please expound on that. So Please. I got a few. I have a few things. The first thing is that what we're seeing, it used to be. Maybe it didn't used to be. I don't know. We 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 we. Our vision was clouded uh, for many many decades, probably centuries. But you know, outrage used to come from something that was in poor taste, or something that punched down. Right. What we're seeing now is outrage as a silencing tool. So what's happening with this particular political strip or social commentary strip is that this is a very true depiction of what a a number of the populace, especially black Americans, are dealing with. And so the idea that this is offensive uh, reminds me of a very famous Jack Nicholson quote, which is, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what we're seeing so much of. 
People are constantly today being told to remove their mask. People are getting belligerent, sometimes violent, about other people wearing masks. We have a grown man who approached a child in a restaurant and started yelling at the child to take off his mask and then spit at the child. This is where we are. This, tr this, um, this particular comic was a depiction of this moment in time and we are constantly told that and also it, it works on so many levels because of us being demeaned by being told our lives don't matter I can't breathe is is about police brutality and so you see this kind of duality with this comic and what people are really objecting to is the truth so that's one thing um secondarily polit politics and comics um, people being angry about politics and comics is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard because their absolute favorite comics are full of politics. You know, the X-Men is about civil rights and Jonathan Hickman has returned it to civil rights, but he took it from Malcolm and Martin to the Black Panther Party. That's what's going on there. And that's your politics there. Superman is an undocumented immigrant. And, and there's politics there, uh, the politics of crime in so many of our comics. And so to hear people say that it's ridiculous, it reminds me of um, a band called Rage Against the Machine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the music that Rage Against the Machine makes. And someone, and people have recently spoken out to Tom Morello, who is their front man, and have said to Tom Morello, um, you're getting too political. And I prefer if you just keep your music the way it is. And Tom Morello said, can you please point me to which one of my songs is not political so I can <laughs> remove it from the catalog? I mean, they're not hearing the politics that has always been in a band called Rage Against the Machine. What machine did they think it was? The toaster? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about right now? You know? The left. The left. Yeah. Exactly, you know, Tom Morello in in one of their most popular songs, it says some of the same ones who burn cross, some of the ones who join forces are the same ones who burn crosses. What do you think that means? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that's what is that dying in the name of? I think that's the song. Sometimes I get titles mixed up, but my point being is that. People have been ignoring stuff that's political because our because there was a lack of outcry and there was a lack of the truth, so they could live in these really pretty little pink bubbles, and they are objecting to these bubbles being burst with honesty. Warren, Julian, I absolutely want to hear what you all have to say about this, but that musical cue means it's time for us to take a short break because, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA. WERA uh, FM is a community radio station, which means that we're non-commercial. And uh, so rather than relying on uh, advertisers, we rely on our sponsors and on our underwriters. And so we're going to pause briefly so that we can acknowledge the invaluable contribution of these individuals that support community radio. You should consider supporting community radio, too. In addition to uh, propping up what is a wonderful community institution it's tax deductible visit wera.fm to find out how so we're going to step aside for a moment stay right there don't touch that dial we'll be back with more fantastic forum right after this
And welcome back to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Warren Bernard and Julian Lytle and Shireen Nicole. We are talking about censorship in comics. And uh, Shireen really just uh, took us out there at the end of the first segment. Warren, uh, particularly uh, as a comics historian, I'm very curious about what your point of view is on this. Well, one, I, I thought the cartoon was a brilliant cartoon, and what is interesting to me is is that um, I agree 100% with Shireen that they can't handle the truth. This is actually, you know, we, we have this meme today called Karen's, and I've seen, what, four, five, six... Um, videos on various places on the internets as they call them that show these you know middle-aged or even younger white women just ranting against masks and and what have you and being very um inconsiderate of anybody else's position other than their own like no no other idea can exist out in the firmament except the ones that they have and so th this is sort of like the people who object to this, this is sort of the right-wing can uh, cancel culture, as the case may be. Um, so, and, and uh, like I said, I thought it was a brilliant cartoon. It puts everything succinctly because it's 100% true. Um, and the other thing that people don't realize and still hasn't gotten through a lot of people is the impact of COVID-19 upon non-whites, okay? whether it's Native Americans, whether it's Blacks, whether it's Latinos, there is a very disproportionate uh, impact in terms of numbers of sickness and, no and percentage of deaths, all right, that seems to go, seems to be lost in this whole thing. So there's this other layer here that this impact is being borne by, uh, of Corona, not by the white population but by the non-white population and it's a, and it's the white population is going well we don't have a problem so it must not be a problem for you and that's part of what this what this is, is saying to me is that it's not these you know the white woman is not recognizing that there are these it's not just the George Floyd I can't breathe there's this other thing about the virus itself that is not being allowed to be discussed and that only her experience about oh well i don't have it none of my friends have it so you can't have it and that's not the way it goes uh and and you know historically there's always been controversy in in comics going all the way back to the 1870s and thomas nast uh that would be like you know a two-hour lecture as the case may be <laughs> so so it's nothing new that comics cause controversy but what is new is how fast the editors of different papers will go ahead and yank not the one comic but that particular strip or that particular person from their pages mm. so um a bunch uh, so there there are some um papers that drop the entire strip they didn't have you know doonesbury got into problems where he made various uh, opinions on this topic or that topic and certain newspapers would not carry that day but right. they would carry subsequent days but these what's happening now is is they're going oh well you know we can't take the risk with you and we're going to go ahead and drop you 
Now, in sort of their defense, one of the big changes that has come is social media. So when Doonesbury was doing his thing in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, of course, he's still doing his thing. You didn't have the large echo chamber of social media reverberating around whatever the tsunami was that hit in terms of controversy. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you didn't have that impact. Now, the editors and the publishers, on one side, they've gotten much more political. So you saw that with Rob Rogers in the Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Gazette when he was doing any Trump cartoons. Mm-hmm. They were going, no, you can't do any Trump cartoons, even though that's what you've been doing for the last like 10 years. So you, you've got that. But then the other part is, is that some of these people, the editors and the publishers, are legitimately afraid of what I affectionately call the rabble. And so these are the people that would go ahead and say, well, you know, if you're going to continue to carry this cartoon, I'm going to go ahead and not only not buy your paper, but I'm going to boycott anybody that advertises in your paper. Mm. So, so there's this economic piece that comes out. You know, how many people don't go to Chick-fil-A and, and um, go to other kinds of establishments that support, let's say that you, you know, they found out that they supported Donald Trump and made big contributions to the 2016 campaign. And mm. so there are people that will not eat at Chick-fil-A now just because of that. So it's both one on one side, sort of understandable as to why you would drop, let's say, the one cartoon. But then, as I read, some papers drop the entire strip. And right. that's a little uncalled for. Yeah. yeah. Well, particularly given that it's an anthology strip and you're talking about five other artists yes. that are, you know, variably drawing some of this stuff. OK, I, 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 I want to hop over to Julian because he's the only one who hasn't gotten a chance so far to weigh in on some of this. Uh, I think I think it's something to be said about it, that it's, it's from a black cartoonist, because uh, going back to some stuff that Warren said, I remember, you know, as a kid, even reading about Doomsbury not being in certain papers that never i don't remember ever happening in the washington post but like i do remember when aaron magruder the reason why he got famous (laughs) is because his strips was being pulled or whatever like he was on tv he would be on c-span he would he was on bill marshall on abc he was on charlie rose he was all over the place about some cartoon that made somebody angry all the time Leading, leading up to him making the show, like when he made the show is when he stopped getting in trouble. Right, um, right. So I think uh, while it's frustrating for Bianca, as frustrating as an audience and as a cartoonist, part of me is like, well, now you're in rarefied air. <laughs> now you're doing work that matters, mm. and this might be something you should low-key celebrate and hold on to and maybe as you know where i'm coming from with comedy that's when you should go even harder when you tell lenny bruce he can't do something ooh, you tell george <laughs> Collin when he can't say something you say richard fry he can't say something and even if you tell dave Chappelle if he, he can't say something oh really yeah, you've okay. opened up a can of comic wop ass basically oh well okay. the, the discomfort is where the growth happens yeah Yes. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, you know, one of the things that fascinated me about uh, some of the 
some of the comments surrounding this and you know julian you were privy to some of this because i mean there there were a couple of black people on on my facebook page <laughs> that were like oh this is offensive and i'm i mean all right i can understand um you know based on who you happen to be that automatically you might find this offensive but for an some in the african-american community to be offended by this i just thought they didn't get the point of the joke who and was i was Terry a little Cruz? surprised <laughs> I am telling you, Ulysses, I have a feeling until I said something, they didn't know the cartoonist was black. So they felt, who is this cartoonist to make this joke? Because even black people have stereotypes on what black names are. Yeah, yeah. And Bianca Eunice might not immediately be recognized as that. Well, and that leads me to another question. Uh, how much of the criticism do you all think could potentially be attributed to implicit bias? And if there were African-Americans who were critical of the strip, is it possible, particularly if they did not recognize that this was a young African-American female cartoonist, that they were thinking simply based on their own bias in terms of who this was, that maybe it was something that they should be against? But let's since Julian... You were talking, and everybody else got to talk a little bit more. Let's start with you. Oh, well, I, I can't say in terms of what happened with the strip because, mm -hmm. uh, like, I don't know exactly what papers it was taken out of. And sometimes you don't even know what's going on in regards to uh, how much is people actually disliking it or how much people are using this as part of some type of weird online culture war. So they're just going to build up, like, emails to the – to the editor to get things taken off as a win and they actually don't care um and how much is it for lulls but uh i do think as things spread on social media sometimes i see people say things about people not knowing they're black and i'm, spe I'm specifically talking about black people like how dare they say that i'm like hey yo they black though and they're like uh, uh, oh, so yeah, you know, you're stuttering. So what, what's your point now? <laughs> and because there's ideas of what black is, and you know, sometimes you don't fit that mold. And, it, and Rashida and, Jones. And, and there's, there's entire things in terms of the idea of what what mixed is and, and the generational mm -hmm. divides. Because some of the older black folks ain't online that heavy, and they ain't in the TikToks, and they ain't in the in the Instagram chats and DMs and and blase blah, blah. But that's a whole different hole, but <laughs> I think it's possibly could be some implicit bias of just not knowing and assuming black people don't make cartoons. What are you talking about? Black people don't draw no comics. <laughs> what? What are you talking about, man? I ain't seen the comics since 1995. <laughs> no black people in comics. <laughs> it ain't it ain't Aaron Magruder, so he can't be black, right? <laughs> and man, they only know Aaron Magruder now because of the cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You forgot it was a whole comic strip for years. I mean, I, I just feel like implicit bias is always present. It's the it's kind of the the nature of our culture. Um, I think you could talk about a lot of different things. I think you can talk about how black women 
are under attack. You see that even right now, black women and also Latinas are constantly under attack for our ideas, our bodies, our words, are are saying things in a way that people find to be a little bit too saucy. So you have you have those things. I think on the black side, you also have this thing about eschewing allyship, like because what changes about that comic? If it was, let's say, someone white or a white woman, is that it goes from being representative to being allyship. It still told the truth, right? But now we're questioning who has the right to tell the truth in that particular manner, which that one is a little bit dodgy for me. I don't know the answers there because depending on what you're talking about, that ground shifts, right? Um you have the you have biases against black artists and the idea that black people suffer harsher penalties for smaller infractions as warren po- pointed out pull the whole strip really <laughs> not just that day but the mm. the whole the 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 whole thing so you have all of that stuff there i don't, I, I don't even think you can have any conversation in america or i don't know anywhere that doesn't contain implicit bias Mm, Okay. Now, um, Warren, I'm going to kick this to you. But in addition to the implicit bias, I'd like you to comment on a couple of other things as well. And uh, we'll jump to the other panelists after you've had a chance to to comment, because uh, this particular strip uh, with six chicks is only one of uh, several that I referenced over the past few years uh, that have seen uh, controversial responses. The other two that come to mind immediately uh, there was a strip by Michael DeAdder uh, for the Brunswick News Incorporated. And in fact, Michael DeAdder, and now both DeAdder and Rob Rogers is the other one, but both of them are uh, established political cartoonists. So one would expect a certain edge to their work. But uh, Michael DeAdder had been with the Brunswick News for 17 years. Uh, before he uh, did this one particular strip. And he has admittedly said that he thinks it wasn't simply this strip, but a number of ones that he had. But it's one of Donald Trump on the golf course. They've taken a picture. Uh, It was one of the ones of um, some uh, refugees uh, who drowned. And, uh, you know, it's like a body of a mother and son and uh, lying in the reeds. And they have uh, he's drawn Donald Trump in a golf cart Uh, standing over them saying, do you mind if I play through? Uh, The other one was a strip by Rod Rod Rogers for the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette, where, and it's, it's, you know, yet another uh, brilliant strip, but uh, he's got, it's like a warning poster, and uh, it's the type of thing, or a warning sign, rather, and it's all silhouettes, yeah, exactly, and uh, silhouettes of, uh, you know, like sort of uh, two people, it's a man and a woman, clearly, uh, seemingly the parents, and uh, they've got a child with them, but there's the silhouette of Donald Trump sco- coming in from the rear and scooping this child up, uh, you know, and it, sort of talking about the uh, family separations at the border. In addition to that uh, I- issue of implicit bias, I'm curious, uh, because the fact that both these two guys were white males and still, but again, political cartoonists, but still, um, you know, found some criticism about that. What do you, what do you think? And I know I've said um, a lot, but no. Well, all I can tell you is is that this is um, right-wing cancel culture that comes in the form of, you know, you see the old pictures of 
the old matronly women who are very well dressed and, and they see something up on the screen, they clutch their pearls and sheer and utter horror at, at what it is they're seeing. And what it, what it really is, is them going ahead and having this massive amount of cognitive dissonance. Because here it is on one side, they go ahead and say, oh my God, look at how poor taste this cartoon is. And they're supporting this thing that's in the White House, and I'll go ahead and say it, that has gone ahead, has insulted everybody, has used language that should not be part of the comportment of the President of the United States, has made derogatory remarks about pretty much every ethnic group that I can go ahead and think of. And so here is someone that has brought the entire discourse of the United States down into the gutter, right? And people are complaining that that same level of discourse cannot be aimed back at him. And that's the part that I have a problem with. Right? The yeah, sheer not and necessarily utter, equitable. Yeah, the sheer and utter hypocrisy and cognitive dissonance to go ahead and say, oh, well, you really shouldn't say that and do that about the president. That's a really bad thing to do. Well, you know something I'm willing to admit, pretty much every other president, I, I might agree with you, but not this one. I'll be honest with you, I think part of it is a fake outrage to go ahead and whip people's emotions up. Remember, this is this is now an emotion-driven country that whether it's on the right or the left, what everyone is trying to do is one way or the other, find the things that are wrong with the other side and get their side whipped up emotionally about how bad that other side is. And and th this this to me, this... All three of these cartoons, Bianca's, Rob's, and Mr. Deatter's, all three of these cartoons are indicative of that from the people who complain about the cancel culture. So think mm. about that hypocrisy in and of itself, is to go ahead and complain one side about the cancel culture and then go ahead and use that exact same language to cancel out voices. Um, my head spins just thinking about it. So anyway... That, that I, you know, to me, that, that's one of the big issues I've got with all of this. And like I said, I think all three of them are, are absolutely brilliant and hard-hitting cartoons. Um, on one side, on the other side is, it's a cartoon, okay? Guess what? You don't like it? Turn the page. Go <laughs> to a different website, all right? Go read a Blondie, all right? If, if that's what's going to make you feel good. So, so there, there's this other thing that says that... If you don't like something, people don't go past it anymore. So it's very difficult for people to go ahead and say, oh, I don't like that, I'm just going to move on, right? And kind of live and let live as the case may be. Now you have to go ahead and, and bring your own emotion into play and become outraged because something, oh my God, you didn't like somehow got into your newspaper. If you don't like something, great, turn the page. <laughs> There's plenty of things to read. <laughs> what's, what, what's the problem here? So, so, I, so like I said, so there, there are those different, those couple of dynamics I was talking about that goes into all of this. And, and like I said, this is right-wing cancel culture. And, and like I said, the woman in there is a Karen. And there's a meme out there for a reason. Right. Memes don't pop up just because someone decides to make a stereotype. Memes normally occur after there's some level of repetition. And in this case, 
with the number of videos that are out there, I was alluding to this earlier, the number of videos out, that are out there, that that was perfectly appropriate for what it is that's going on in America here at the time. It's just that a bunch of people can't stand to have that reality brought up in their face. Hmm. Well, I'm sorry. Be a big girl and be a big boy and turn the page. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming on WERA.FM. Radio Arlington, I'm Ulysses Z. Campbell. I'm joined today by Shireen Nicole, Julian Lytle, and Warren Bernard. We are talking about censorship in comics, and we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I I'd wanted to, uh, before we're out of time, ask you all, do you think that it's part of the function of cartoonists to look at stuff like this and to challenge us uh, and to get us to think? And... Um, uh, Julian, I'm going to ask you first. What, what do you think about that? Like, I basically think cartoonists function as uh, they're they're you know they they are in the same realm of uh, satirists and uh, comedians and essayists uh, to communicate ideas and to make and help people look at things in ways to make them think, so they can get out of their comfort zone and maybe maybe see a way in which the world might be screwing you over like the way in which the world we made as in humans might be affecting each other in ways that you might not think at least that's the way i look at cartooning okay. the cartoons i like okay all right um shireen in addition to the role of cartoonists um i well actually no let me let me let me not give you too much to unpack role of cartoonists just to kind of t continue what julian said it's about, I always say this, art shapes culture. That has been the case for a very long time. Like Julian said, the artists, including cartoonists, have always presented things uh, that, that are there for the general public to think about, to understand, to view in a new way. It's, a, it's another perspective that you may not have. Um, and, you know, to borrow a colloquialism, truth hurts, right? So... But we're seeing people that their outrage is not is that they don't want the truth told as opposed to the truth is painful and now they have to do the work of changing it. So I think the role of cartoonists is to expose those things that we don't want to talk about, those things that we haven't talked about, those hypocrisies, the preposterous nature of some of the things that we do, the fact that we have a president who is the leading cause of death in the country. You know, those things are important. The fact that we have children in internment camps. Don't be mad that somebody told you we have ch um, children in internment camps. Be mad that we have children in internment <laughs> camps. You know, be mad that people are dying for no reason. And, and, and that's what cartoonists are meant to do. But as Warren has said, we have this shift where people have realized that self-righteous outrage is a tool that they can use to silence that truth. And therefore, they don't have to change. Mm, yeah. Hey, uh, so Warren, uh, I think you may get the last word in here. But uh, a couple of, th well, it's something that you said. Uh, in, in your last statement where you were talking about the outrage and the emotion. And because I, I don't happen to believe that the dialogue should have to depend on that outrage and the emotion that people uh, express. But 
um, you know, yes, in terms of the role of cartoonists, uh, what do you think? Well, absolutely, there's part of it that is there to inform and is there to make people aware. And I agree 100% with, with what Julian and Shireen are both saying. There is another part that it's there to entertain. And uh, I was asked a question very similar to this uh, on, a, on a different interview, where um, the, the problem, if, if all cartoonists much, must go ahead and make political statements that confines the medium. And so there's got to be some piece of it that people have to be allowed to make art for art's sake without necessarily having to have a political or an informational component to it. So there's room for both. There's more than enough room for both. And it's not, a, and it's not, a, it's, it's one of those things where you can have both simultaneously side by side. You don't have to pick, it's not a duality. It's not an either or proposition. You can have both. And so I believe that you should have both where you can have funny stuff that's just funny. And then you can have the political informational stuff that can also be funny too, but that's not necessarily what the main role is. Mm -hmm. But don't you think that both those things contain the truth? Like you read a family circus comic, there's the truth, you know? The same the same with the political stuff. Like to me, and, and you tell me what you think, Warren, but it's it's always some fact of truth. The truth about family life, the truth about the army, you know, the truth about office work. There's that's always the core, I think, of cartooning. Yes, yes, I, I... Do, I do not disagree with you in any way, shape, or form. There is always some level of truth. Sometimes it's buried a lot deeper, like you get, you get into some of this science fiction stuff that doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have. Like for me, Fantastic Four 48 through 50, the coming of Galactus and the Silver Surfer. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I can't think of what truths it was speaking. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's there, though. It's there, Warren. Invasion truth. Yes. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a that's a biblical story. I can get deep on that, but you know. All right. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I get I get the whole thing that Galactus is really the first god that we see in the superhero universe, and I understand all of that. But in 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 terms of and, and I want to this one reason this is the example I'm giving about for me entertainment was was that I thought you know to this day I still think it's one of the greatest three comic books I ever read. So. I agree with you. There is a certain amount of truth, but sometimes the truth is buried behind much more um, fanciful and sometimes very interesting things, and you have to dig kind of deep in order to find what that truth is. Mm. And actually, the Watcher, I'd say, was the first godlike character uh, that they introduced. But I think he's not Look, God, though. You know what I'm saying? He's like Metron. He's an angel, but he was right. not the destroyer of worlds. <laughs> but not, but, but not because he didn't have the power to. It's just simply that uh, his charge was to watch. But the fact that he could see everything, I mean, that's pretty godlike, you know. <laughs> a, anyway, look, um, I we are sadly out of time because I'd love to carry this conversation on. <laughs> this is some great stuff, y'all. But uh, of course. As I said, out of time. If you're interested, though, in more Fantastic Forum, you can get it. You can visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. We've got episodes of the television show broken out. We've got more of the radio show. Also, the show is available as a podcast. 
through the Great Geek Refuge and iTunes and iHeartRadio and a bunch of other stuff like that that I don't even understand. But if you check out podcasting, it's available like that. So uh, stay safe. Make sure that, oh, the show re-airs each and every Thursday at 3 p.m. So if you like this, tell your friends, tune into WERA, 3 p.m. Thursday, and you can hear this show again. And in the meantime, as I said, stay safe and make sure to come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station.